Okay, we are in uh, Genesis chapter 47. And um, let's start reading uh, verse 17. We'll pick it up from verse 17 of Genesis 47, so we overlap a bit from last time. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for their horses and their flocks and their herds and donkeys. And he fed them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And when that year was ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent and the cattle are my Lord's. There's nothing left for my Lord except our bodies and our hands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food and and we and our land will be slaves to Pharaoh. So give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph brought all the land of Egypt, brought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for every Egyptian sold his field because the famine was severe upon them. Thus the land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he removed them to the cities from one end of Egypt, border, Egypt's border to the other. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had an allotment from Pharaoh, and they lived off the allotment which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have today bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you that you may sow. At the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own for seed of the field and for your food, for those of your household, and as food for your little ones. So they said, You have saved our lives. Let us find favor in your sight, in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's slaves. Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, <clears throat> valid to this day, that Pharaoh should have the fifth. Only the land of the priests did not become Pharaoh's. <clears throat> so you see the utter desolation that came upon the land of Egypt as the years of the famine progressed. <clears throat> and little by little, they ended up coming to him. And Joseph never said, give me your cattle. I mean, they, they, they brought it. They brought their livestock to him. And they were the ones that said, we are going to die. And in verse 19, they are the ones that said, buy us and our land. They're the ones that wanted this to happen. They had come to that point of turning everything over. And, uh, and so Joseph bought all the land. And then he says down in verse 23, behold, I have today bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you that you may sow your land. He never treated them as if they were slaves. He did move them, it says, from the countryside, from all the diverse parts, from all the borders. He moved them into the cities. But especially in this pandemic time, we, we have a better understanding now of the, the, the drastic measures that governments take in times like this. And he had to move them into cities to make sure that there could be food distribution to them. And they had to move into the cities. This was a dire time. 
and he moved them into the cities for that reason, but he never treated them as slaves. He never even addressed them as if they were slaves. And then what he started to do when the famine started to lift, he gave them seed and he told them, go ahead and plant this, but there's going to be a 20% tax. This 20% tax, and then it says in verse 26, that, that statute was in the land of Egypt valid to this day. So what day is that? Well, Moses was writing this about 200 years later, about 200 years later, because remember from the time that, that uh, uh, Jacob came into the land, it was, they were 215 years in the land of Egypt from the time that Jacob came in. We had looked over the plots before. The 430 years started from the time that Isaac was being persecuted by Ishmael, and then there was another prof prophecy that it, there would be 400 years. They were already, it started back at, at 430. At 430, the word was given. At 400 years, these other things started happening. And then there are 215 years in the land. So this is, this is uh, uh, about uh, somewhere around a little over 200, may, maybe 210, 215, 220, 225, somewhere like that. That policy of a 20% tax was still valid in Egypt to that day. And it says that, that they gave over everything. Little by little, they lost everything. They lost everything and they started turning it over. <clears throat> this was to a people that had known that a famine was coming because they had been told, along with everybody else, that there was going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. And they could have stored up, but it's common that people don't don't put aside, and I'll, I'll just just give you a, a, a little little bit of a of an insight in in uh, in around the year two thousand. In that time period, I did a lot of consulting for the for the Department of Defense, and in these committees, they talked about all the scenarios that could happen to to the country, all the things that could happen, and they were longing that if people would only store up water and food, uh, 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 food that, that uh, you know, canned food or, or dried food and enough water for one month, that could bring much more stability to the country. But it's very hard to get people to do that. And, uh, and in fact, it's, it's, they had even encouraged if you can store up even for longer than that, it brings far more security. And I remember the word going out that they said people should do this, they should store up, they should have and, and here in, in Houston, where we have a lot of hurricanes, they say, please always keep stored up at least two weeks worth, because if things are devastated, it could take two weeks to recover where things could be brought in. Uh, but very few people do that. And uh, uh, so, so these people were actually warned and they ended up selling their lives and giving up everything. It happened little by little. And I'll tell you what it reminds me of. What it reminds me of is I see people's lives uh, because I, I watch young people and I watch young people with the decisions that they make and it goes forward little by little and how much they start giving ground to the enemy. And after a decade or two, they are just entrenched in sin and entrenched in the destructions that come upon people's lives. <clears throat> and uh, I want to read to you a passage from Romans, um, from Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, we're going to start reading from verse 16, Romans 6, 16. Do you not know 
that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God that, that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed, and you have been freed from sin. Having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. You know, the Bible puts it this way, that you can become enslaved to sin. You can become slaves to sin. And how does that happen? Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? If you want to see <clears throat> drifting away from God, what you do is you sin. And sin will draw, draw you further and further away from God. It is clear. If we walk in sin, we will move further and further away from God. God hasn't gone anywhere. He stayed fixed. We are the ones who drift away. And we end up becoming enslaved to sin. If you don't know the Lord, or if you're walking in sin, I'll tell you, you will work, walk further and further away from God unless you make a dedicated change to walk toward Him. A decision that you make to walk toward him. It says, it says that, that you will be a slave to sin and that sin is going to result in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. When we obey God, it draws us closer. This is the whole thing about meditating on the word of God. It is not just for the sake of meditation. What did God tell Joshua? He says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. For then you'll make your way prosperous and then you will have success. That when you start meditating on the word of God, then you start obeying it. You can't obey something you don't even know. And it says we meditate on the word of God, it draws us closer, draws us closer to him. And it says that, that, it says that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And, and I see this all the time, and I love to work with young people. I got saved at the age of 18 when I first went to college. And I give thanks all the time that God reached out and saved me when I was 18 years old, rather than waiting till I was 28 or 38. Because there's so much that happens in that time period. You, you choose your spouse, you choose how you're gonna raise your family, you choose how you're, gonna, you, you, how you're gonna make a living. So many decisions that happen between, between uh, just after the, the latter years of college and onward. And, and uh, there's great blessing in following the Lord, great blessing. And if you don't know the Lord, if there's someone on this call who doesn't know the Lord, let me just warn you that, that you can slip into sin really easily without even knowing it. And before you know it, you're too caught up in this thing. There's a passage from Isaiah chapter 14, verse 9 through 11, that really summarizes what this fall can be like. Here is a picture. God gives us a picture of what hell can be like. And here's what it looks like. It says in, in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 9, Sheol from beneath is excited over you to meet you when you come. It arouses for you the spirits of the dead all the leaders of the earth. It raises all the kings of the nations from their thrones. They will all respond and say to you, even you've become weak as we. 
You have become like us. Your pomp and your music and your harps have been brought down to Sheol. Maggots are spread out as your bed beneath and worms are your covering. So what does hell look like? It is very clear. You are gonna sleep upon maggots and your covering is going to be worms. That's what it says. And, and Jesus actually said something quite similar. In Mark chapter 19, verse, verse uh, uh, 49, Jesus described hell and he put it this way, where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. We are not to mess around with these things. We think, you know, we're just little by little moving into this. Oh, it'll be all right. Don't mess around with this stuff. Jesus said, their worm does not die. So you think, well, if I'm in hell and there's worms through my covering, I'll kill all the worms. You can't kill them. Jesus said, the worms there don't die. That's how he described it. That's exactly how he described it. He's, in, he's talking about the description of hell, and that's how it was described. So, so um, uh, let, let's move on to the next point now. All right. Continue reading in chapter 47 of Genesis. Let's start reading in verse 27. I want you to watch the contrast now. Verse 27. Now that now Israel lived in the land of Egypt in Goshen, and they acquired property in it and were fruitful and became very numerous. Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years so that the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. When the time for Israel to die drew near, he called his son Joseph and he said to him, please, if I have found favor in your sight, place now your hand under my thigh and deal with me in kindness and faithfulness. Please do not bury me in Egypt, but when I lie down with my fathers, you shall carry me to Egypt. You shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in, the burial, in, in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. And he said, swear to me. So he swore to him. Then Israel bowed in worship at the head of his bed. You see the contrast that God is the one who wrote this book. Every word in the Bible is true. Every word. And I'll just, I'll give you a warning. If you do not take every word in this Bible as true, you have lost all moral high ground in evangelism. And you have just, just strapped onto yourself weakness. Every word in this Bible is true. Every word of it. And there is this higher criticism that tries to attack the Bible. And it is wrong, wrong, wrong. The Bible is true. Every word in it is true. God is the one who set up this contrast. Here's this contrast of all of these people that have just so put upon and brought these things upon their life because of this famine. And God contrasts this again, just like black and white. He says, the people, the children of Israel prospered. They prospered. God is the one who's, who had Moses write it this way to show the, the direct contrast of what was going on between these two groups. And he says, it says uh, uh, that Jacob lived to be 147. Remember, he told, he told, Pharaoh, when he came before him, he told him that he was 130 years old. So now he's lived 17 years in the land, and these were good years for, for him. He had had a very hard life. These were very good years for him. It's interesting that, that Joseph was 17 years old when he was taken and, and, and uh, sold, sold into slavery by his brothers. 
His father was 17 years under Joseph's care. Joseph was 17 years under his father's care. His father was 17 years under Joseph's care. And Joseph took care of his father. And then then it says, when it came time for Israel to die, he called his son Joseph. So remember, Joseph was probably somewhere around 50 miles away from him. And so Joseph would have to get on his chariot. And and that could be a one-day journey on a chariot. Uh, It's several days journey if you're walking, but uh, Joseph had access to a chariot. So it's not like it's just right in the same neighborhood. Well, why didn't Joseph live with them in the land of Goshen? Because Joseph had a job to do. Joseph was right there over Pharaoh's house, and he was ruling over, over Egypt during a very difficult time. And so sometimes you can't always be with your family. He, was, he, was, uh, he wasn't with all of his other family. He had to be about a certain place to get a job done, a job to which he had been called. And uh, uh, there's times that you can't, you can't be around your extended family. I mean, sometimes jobs call you away from it. And so he calls Joseph to, him, to himself and he says, please, if I found favor in your sight, place now your hand under my thigh. This is the same thing that Eliezer did to Abraham when Abraham said, swear to me that you will go and find a spouse for my son, not from the women of this land of Canaan, but you go up to my father's household and you go and you find a woman, a wife for my son. So this was a tradition they had that if if a man was in a bed, that you would put your hand underneath his thigh and you'd swear to this thing. And he says, deal with me with kindness and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt. He wanted to be buried where Abraham and Sarah were buried, where Isaac and Rebekah were buried, and where Leah was also buried. It's interesting that Rachel was not buried there. Remember, Rachel was the one who had stolen her father's household idols. And at some point, Jacob had said, give me all your idols. He took them away from her and he buried them under a tree and he got rid of them. But even though, even though Rachel died, not very far from that burial place in Hebron, I bet it's less than 30 miles where she passed away. She was not buried with the patriarchs. He buried her separately. And, and, and we know where that is because there's reference made to it in the Bible. And, uh, um, you know, they talk about Rachel's tomb. But Leah is buried there. He says, I want to be buried with the patriarchs. Don't bury me in this land. But there's an interesting thing here. He says, but when I lie down in verse 30, but when I lie down with my fathers, you shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. When I lie down with my fathers, he did not consider being buried next to his father and grandfather as lying down with his fathers. He says, when I lie down with my fathers, You shall carry me out of Egypt. He's already laid down with his fathers. Now you carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. He knew that the instant he died, he would be with his fathers. He would be very much in the presence of God. And we know exactly where he went. He went to that same place where Abraham was, where Lazarus, was in his bosom, that very same place he went to. And then when Jesus died on the cross, 
he went and he went to that very place. And there was a great chasm between where Abraham was and where the unbelievers were. Jesus made testimony to those unbelievers across that chasm, but he took all those who were in the bosom of Abraham to be with him. And that is the picture that Jesus himself paints for us. He knew where he was going to be. He was going to be with Abraham and with his father Isaac. He was going to be with them. When we go to be with the Lord, it's not, it's not lying down in the grave. It is very much being in the presence of God. There is life everlasting, and he knew it. He says, when I lie down with my fathers, in other words, when I expire right here, when I lie down with my fathers, I'm going to very much be with, my, with, with them. And then you can bury me in Egypt. It, it, bury, take me out of Egypt and bury me in, in, uh, in, in Hebron, in that burial plot, which, which Abraham bought for Sarah. That was the original purchase of that burial plot. And you can go to that burial plot today. You can see it. It's a, it's a, it's a visitor site uh, uh, right there in, in Hebron, in Israel. And even though the Palestinians control that whole sector, that burial plot has been maintained by, by, by the, the, the state of Israel. And, uh, and there's, there's actually a Jewish side to, to, to visit it. And then uh, just on, this, on another side of a wall, there's a, there's a, it's actually bulletproof glass. There's, a, there's, there's the Arab side, uh, where the Arabs visit from the other side. And, and, uh, and so the point I want to look at here is interesting. For 17 years, Joseph is laboring and working and running the land of Egypt and running Pharaoh's household. For these 17 years that, that, that uh, Jacob was in the land, Joseph is running the land of Egypt. Where is Jacob in this? There's nothing, we don't have any report of what Jacob did that last 17 years other than the children of Israel prospered and were multiplying and doing very well. But the reins had been turned over to Joseph. Joseph now was the one, we have all of this in, in chapter 47, all the things that Joseph is doing with the people, all the negotiations that he's, he's doing and moving people from the land and, and, and getting them distributed and setting up the tax structure. Joseph is really busy. Jacob, who had been a very, very hard worker, remember it says that he worked day and night, he, he was cold by night, he was, he was hot during the day when he was taking care of all those flocks for Laban, and, and all of those years, the seven years where he got Leah, the seven years where he finally got Rachel, and then the six more years, so the 20 years that he had served, uh, uh, how hard he had had to work for that. Well, his time had passed. For 17 years, it's not even reported what he did. Did you know from the time that Isaac, from the time that Isaac uh, blessed his sons and passed on the blessing, till the time that Isaac died was 43 years. Isaac thought that his, 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 life, his life was coming to an end. Isaac thought that this was going to be it, that uh, uh, his life was gonna be coming to an end because he said, I don't know when I'm gonna die. Well, he ended up living another 43 years. But you hear almost nothing of Isaac after that. After, after Jacob leaves, you hear nothing of Isaac other than Isaac ended up moving back to Hebron. That's it. And then when Isaac died, what happens in life is this, is that there is a period in your life 
where you're very, very important and you got all these things going on in your life and so many things depend on you as we're seeing with Joseph now. But with Jacob, his time had passed. These years of labor where he's, he's the man and so much is revolving around him has now passed. And what I wanna do is I wanna, I wanna share a little bit with, with the young people that are on this call. I urge you to get involved in serving the Lord Jesus Christ while you have these years of strength. Don't let your years pass by. While you have these years of strength, because there is going to come a time where you don't have the physical strength anymore to be of, of massive service to the Lord. You're gonna to have to learn how to serve the Lord in other ways. You're gonna write, or you're gonna be in huge prayer ministries. As some of the people on this very call, I mean, their, their lives right now have shifted to, to praying for others. It's gonna shift. You're no longer gonna be the one in the limelight, but you're gonna see that in your jobs, you're gonna move into very important positions in life. You ser start serving the Lord right now. Do not think that you can put this thing off. Or for example, you might say, well, you know, I might not get tenure, so I won't talk too much about Jesus until I get tenure. And then you get tenure after about seven years, and then you think, well, you know, I'm still not a full professor, I'm just an associate professor, Maybe, maybe when I'm a full professor, because I don't want to risk this thing, I'll start really talking about Jesus and becoming active on the campus here. Well, then you're a full professor and you think, wow, you know, I mean, all these years have gone by. I, I, you know, people have not known me and it's, it's just hard to get involved. You are to start serving the Lord right where you are, right where you are, because these years pass by. I want to turn to a portion, a classic portion in the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes, we're going to start reading from Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1. Look at how this man of wisdom speaks to us. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in them. So what he's saying is you remember God in the days of your youth. Remember God in the days of your youth and serve him in the days of your youth. Pour out in service to him. Anyone who serves me, Jesus said in John chapter 12, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. The Father will honor you as you serve Jesus. As you continue to serve Jesus, the Father will honor you. He says, remember your years or else when you get old, you're going to say, I have no delight in them. Because you get old and all these things start hurting and all these pains. He says in verse 2, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. This is what he's talking about. So it's, this is just poetry. This is imagery he's putting here. Before the sun, the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and clouds return after the rain. So before you, you don't see things very well. You don't see the sun and the light as clearly. You don't see the moon. You don't see the stars as well. Remember the Lord while you're still young and the clouds return after the rain. The rain are your tears. You, see, you often might see old people constantly wiping away tears from their eyes. It's not that they're weeping, it's just that their eyes are watering. And the clouds, the cataracts come in and it's hard to see. You get this cloudy over your eyes. Verse three, in the day that the watchmen of the house tremble and the mighty men stoop and the grinding ones stand idle because they are few and those who look through windows grow dim. So he says in verse three, in the days when the watchmen of the house tremble, when your hands are just trembling, the watchmen are trembling. Uh, remember God before your hands start trembling. He says, 
and the mighty men stoop. Before you start to, to stoop over, you know, you, you're not able to stand as tall as you used to be. And you start to, to get a little bit shorter. Before the, he says, before those mighty men start to stoop and the grinding ones stand idle because they are few. Before you lose your teeth. You know, uh, older people have to be really careful what they eat uh, because they're teeth. He says, before you lose your teeth. He says, remember the Lord before you lose your teeth. And then he says, and those who look through windows grow dim. Your eyes start to grow dim. You don't see as clearly the colors aren't going to be as vivid anymore for you. Before that happens, remember the Lord. He says, and the doors on the street are shut as the sound of the grinding mill is low. It's, it's hard to open your mouth and really take a big bite of something. You know, how many, how many 80-year-olds do you see take, pick up an apple and just take a big bite out of it? You know, it's hard to do that. And uh, uh, they can't do it. And he says, he says uh, uh, the doors on the street are shut and the sound of the grinding mill is low. And one will arise at the sound of a bird and the daughters of song sing softly. You look at old people sometimes and what happens? You know, they're like, whoa, what was that? What was that? Was it, is that everything okay? This will happen to you. This will happen to you. And it says, and the daughters of song sing softly. You know, I knew a woman, she was a physician and she worked particularly with the elderly. <laughs> it was interesting. Um, she had a very, very high-pitched voice, very high-pitched. And she would say that they can't hear her. They just can't hear her. She talks to them and they can't hear her. her uh, the pitch of her voice was very high and their ability to hear the high pitches had dissipated and they couldn't hear her. He says, furthermore, men are afraid of high places and terrors on the road. You, you just... You know, what, what happens to older people? And if there's older people on this call, I just want you to remember this. The, 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 there's, there's a lot of college students here, so I'm not picking on anybody. We're all going to get there. But it says, it says uh, uh, men are afraid of high places and terrors on the road. A lot of old people don't want to go out at night because, you know, they don't want to drive at night because they don't see as well at night and the lights come in their eyes. It's hard to see. And they think, you know, it's, it's, it's not safe. You know, the sun has gone down. And, and when you're young, you're like... Hey, let's go out and play, uh, you, you know, flashlight tag. You know, nothing, nothing's going to scare me on this. I'll go out, no problem. And it says, and the almond tree blossoms. Have you ever seen an almond tree in blossom? It's totally white. Just white flowers everywhere. So when the hair turns white, remember God before the hair turns white. And the grasshopper drags himself along. Before, you know, you, you don't see older people taking really big steps and walking really fast. No, they take little steps. The feet kind of drag along. And the caper berry is ineffective. I mean, the, uh, the reproductive system is not working the same way. For man goes to his eternal home while mourners go about in the street. Verse 6 of Ecclesiastes 12. Remember him before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed. Before your nervous system is shot. You know, you don't feel as well. You, 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 get, you, you get this uh, uh, neuropathy in your fingers and in your toes. And before your golden bowl is crushed. I mean, that thing just doesn't work the same anymore. Look at an old person. You ask them to write you a check for something and, and watch them write a check. It, it, it takes like 20 minutes just to figure out, you know, you know how to write out a check. And, and, and uh, because things start moving more slowly. And I can tell you, my, my brain does not work as fast as it did when I was in my 20s and 30s. I mean, if, if you think I can speak now, you should have seen me at the, that time. I mean, was, we'd go a million miles an hour. And, and, and how fast it could work and how fast you could solve problems that are put before you. This, this golden bowl just, just begins to crush. 
The pitcher by the well is shattered and the wheel at the cistern is, is crushed. You know, this, this circulatory system begins to not work as well. And, and, uh, and, 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 and uh, you get, you, you, you know, you hit your hand on something when you're older and you get a big black and blue mark. Why is that? This, this thing is just breaking. And uh, uh, you get all this hardening, hardening of the arteries and the wheel at the cistern is crushed. The heart just doesn't work the same way. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, said the preacher, all is vanity. So then, then uh, uh, we are to remember the Lord. He says, remember the Lord. Young people, I'm telling you, there is going to be a day when you're not going to be, you know, the person in charge. I look at my own father. My father is, is 90, just about 92 years old. And I remember when him, when he was young, he was running these businesses and everything was, oh, Mr. Tour said this, Mr. Tour said that, and everything revolved around what he said. Now, nothing revolves around what he says. Nothing. I mean, just the, the only one who listens to him now is his little dog. And, and uh, uh, that happens in life. That's what we see with, 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 with Jacob. That's what we see. Before these years come, let these years where you seek God, start doing it right now. Do not delay. Do not think, well, when I'm done with school, then I'll do this. No, it's going to get harder when you get done with school. It's not going to be easier. You can get away with a lot when you're a student. You really can. You can get away with a lot just because you're a student. And it gets harder and harder. You are to get your bold witness now. Serve the Lord now. Be about his work now while you have all this strength Use, this, use your strong back to serve the Lord. Use your arms to serve the Lord because there's going to come a day when you can't lift as much, when you can't carry as much baggage, when you can't carry all these things. Learn how to serve the Lord. Be a service of service to him. Jacob, it's not wrong what Jacob did. He, was 100, he, was, uh, he lived from 130 to 147 these last 17 years. You hear nothing of his life until this point where he's dying. Because his years of, of being in charge of things have passed. It's his son's period. You are to take these years and serve the Lord. Take these years and serve the Lord. Be about the Lord's work. Don't shrink back. And he said, well, what do I do? Well, you start getting involved with the church. You, you ask Shireen what you can do. Ask my, she'll put you to work. Or she'll put you to work in a heartbeat. She'll get you delivering food. She'll get you serving in all sorts of ways. And so you can't use this excuse around, around my family. You can't use this ex excuse that you don't know what to do. You ask Shireen, she will put you to work. And uh, 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 so, so there's, there's these things that start happening. Anyway, let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word and the truth of it. And I pray, Lord God, that you would so work and move in these young people's lives that they would learn to serve you. They would remember you before these things that we read in Ecclesiastes are gonna to happen to them. They would remember you in their prime years, they would remember you and learn to serve you while they have their strength. Lord, I pray that they would not shrink back from serving you. They, they would continue to labor and look for ways to serve Jesus Look for ways to talk about him because now they're around people, they're around others. When they're older, they're gonna be just restricted to their homes and so, so much more. Lord, I pray that you take these young people and you do a great work in their lives. Father, do that, I pray. 
And Father, for those that are approaching sin and playing with sin as if it's not really going to cut them, Lord, I pray that they would see that it's going to draw them into a place of slavery and draw them away from the Lord. Father, teach us to meditate on your word. And Lord, I pray that you would give us a heart of wisdom and teach us to number our days, O Lord, and give us a heart of wisdom. Because a man lives 70 years, and if due to strength, 80. So Lord, let us offer to you our days and number our days, O Lord, and give us a heart of wisdom. Lord, I pray for the unbelievers on this call. Oh Lord, draw them to Jesus, that they would get saved, that they would see that indeed Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Right now, they are, in, are enslaved to Satan, and they are going to end up in that very hell that we read about, where they will be welcomed to hell. They will be welcomed, and then they will be shown their room that's going to be a bed of worms and a blanket of maggots. Father, that they would turn their lives over to you, that they need not perish. And Lord, I thank you for your mercies and for the grace of God. In Jesus' name.